This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Drill Down, the business stories behind Stocks on the Move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is Friday, July 2nd. Just ahead, pow! Just in time for fireworks, we'll drill down the booming ammunition business. Yeah, I said booming. Plus, is there a cure for Alzheimer's getting closer? We'll talk about one biotech business that has just gotten a big boost. And we'll drill down to the big company behind Priceline, Kayak, OpenTable, Booking.com, and our guest says it's doing better than you might think. But first. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. A long holiday weekend is the perfect time. Listen to all those episodes of The Drill Down that you've missed. It's easier to not miss them, of course, if you subscribe. If you click the follow button on your favorite podcast platform, so you can catch all of our drill down episodes. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the Drill Down, where we explain the business stories behind stocks and the move. Joining me today, editor Ben Wilson in the role of Ed McMahon, or, you know, pick your sidekick. <laughs> Big shoes Isaac's to fill. Away. Ben's here. Glad to have you. Or at least Ben. Ben's always here. Ben's microphone's on, I should say. Um, uh, <laughs> but we're glad to have you, Ben. Thanks. Good to be here. Corey, go ahead and tell me the three most important developments in the world of business today. All right. So I want to start with one that I think isn't being seen as a business story, but is. It's a big business story. It's the 15-count indictment of tax fraud and other charges filed in New York against the Trump Organization and its longtime chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg. This is a business story. This is not a politics story. I don't want to get involved in politics. Our politics don't matter here. I think what's really interesting here is how this worked from a tax perspective. I know someone who teaches tax law as how to cheat to get the students more interested in tax law. This is how they are accused of cheating. So the company, although there's 15 counts, New York tends to make you break up the counts into a lot more than you would in a federal case, whatever. Um, but specifically, what this talked about was ways that the Trump Organization alleged compensated employees without listing the compensation in their W-2 forms. So they kept separate spreadsheets showing how much these employees, not least of which Weisselberg himself, were getting in free rent, cars, tuition, millions of dollars. But these efforts to hide this income, to pay off the books, the phrase off the books, is used in the indictment are kind of interesting both from a corporate perspective and from a personal perspective. So from a personal way, again, these are all alleged, if Alan Weisselberg is getting benefits and not paying taxes on those, if he's living in New York City and pretending not to live in New York City and the company's helping him shield that, he's not paying New York City taxes, he's paying less in personal taxes, right? That's a big part of this. So all the taxes that he might otherwise owe uh, are not being paid. But the company is also lowering its tax bill. 
because it's listing these things as expenses, expenses to be deducted against other things that the profits that they might otherwise have. So by putting, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars into hidden benefits to employees that are called, you know, whatever you want, costs, holiday gift costs, rental, or uh, vaguely uh, described rental costs, they're lowering the taxable income for the company and they're lowering the taxable income for the individuals. So who gets screwed in the end? Everybody else has got to pay more taxes. I mean, it's particularly galling, again, if this alleged uh, case is, is true. To me, it's particularly galling to individuals in a company that takes a lot from the government, right? The roads, the bridges, the sidewalks, the New York City police walking around Trump Tower, the notion that they're paying less than their fair share in taxes and getting more of the benefit because they demand so much of the city, whether it's in the way they build their buildings or or protect their buildings or the infrastructure that supports that great city um, is particularly galling. But I think it's interesting from a business standpoint when we look at the story as it evolves. And there's every indication that there's a lot more to come in this, Ben. Okay, second most important business story today, U.S. unemployment numbers out for the month of June. And unemployment, well, that's all kind of employment figures out. Unemployment ticks up to 5.9% higher than, you know, 5.8% in the prior month, not too much worse, but a little bit worse within this. And this is always my favorite part to look at, Ben, when you look at the employment results when they come in, look what's strong, look what's weak, because they break out all these different sectors. So leisure and hospitality, government, uh, trade hiring, um, trade transport hiring, way up, in particular, leisure and hospitality up uh, 343,000 jobs. But other businesses, financial and construction, down. Construction lost 7,000 jobs, Third straight monthly loss here. Now, it's worth noting that the leisure and hospitality sector, um, which has the lowest wages in our economy, right? Those are the lowest paid workers in our economy. But they added 1.6 million jobs in 2021 and 6 million jobs since the bottom of last April. Now, unfortunately, the number of individuals unemployed for 27 weeks, long-term unemployment, they make up 42% of the total unemployed. Sometimes when we see these economic disruptions, what we find is people at the very bottom just don't get back up again. And we're seeing that certainly the unemployment numbers, the persistent unemployment is uh, is quite gripping for a lot of people. That's a tough spot for people to be in. With all of those added jobs in leisure and hospitality and government, what are some of the other jobs that are um, losing out on people aside from construction? Where Yeah, so really financial increasing? and construction were the only places where there was a downtick. Generally speaking, um, employment figures were strong across the board. And because, you know, again, compare, you know, retail, retail added 67,000 jobs in the month, construction lost 7,000. That was the only real negative financial, we'll call it a thousand, not kind of terribly important there, but uh, unemployment, you know, gripping unemployment, lasting unemployment, structural unemployment that may have been exposed um, during this recession uh, and stuff. We talk about the show all the time about the way business is changing. Some people maybe have been left behind faster as well during the most recent recession. All right, finally, third very important business story of the day. Let's talk fireworks. Worth noting right now, 2020 fireworks sales were pretty strong. Virtually all of the fireworks in this country come from China. $358 million worth of Chinese fireworks were purchased last year in the United States. The number two supplier of fireworks, Spain, it was 3.7 million, so about one one hundredth of what China gave us after that Thailand, Hong Kong, Japan, Germany, Mexico, Italy. That's from the U.S. Comtrade database as reported by Statistica. Also worth noting, folks, 
firework injuries. Don't be one of those morons this weekend. They are, uh, in the words of Statistica, skyrocketing the U.S. The number of non-occupational firework injuries treated in U.S. hospitals hit uh, 16,000 last year. It's the highest uh, any uh, in any of the last 15 years measured. Uh, and so people screwing around with fireworks, just don't do it. Leave it to the pros. Get together with your fellow vaccinated humanity and enjoy the ooze and ah. Somehow something seems very ironic about how many of the 4th of July fireworks are imported. Yeah, I, I, what I'm thinking is if people were willing to go to the hospital last year in the midst of COVID, that shows you how badly hurt they were. And maybe, again, there's something best avoided. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, let's start with Elector. Stock ticker is ALEC, A-L-E-C. It was up 49% today and 121% over the past year. What's going on with them? Important biotech company, interesting biotech company based in Silicon Valley, right near the San Francisco airport, actually in San Mateo. This company announced a huge deal with GlaxoSmithKline, a global cooperation agreement uh, for two clinical stage monoclonal antibodies, which are known as AL001 and AL101. Now, the Elector's uh, lead program, their AL001, is a treatment for frontemporal dementia patients with a single GRN mutation, and it's been given orphan drug status. So that's a, a sign that it might get approved faster. Orphan drug designation means that there's a complete lack of a current treatment for the patients who suffer from this. Now, both of these Elector-designed molecules, AL001 and AL101, are, and they call it AL001. Why wouldn't they just call it 001? Really? But in the conference call, that's not what they do. They're both designed to increase something called progranulin, which is a compound regulating the immune activity in the brain with genetic connections to lots of problems, right? Lots of uh, neurodegenerative disorders. Think about Parkinson's. Think about Alzheimer's. This is exactly what this stuff is going after. And these are expensive programs to develop and test. So this Glaxo deal, really important today. Glaxo is going to give the company $700 million bucks in an upfront payment in addition to potential milestone payments worth up to $1.5 billion. Now, AL001 is currently undergoing um, um, mid-stage and late-stage trials, including a, a really important uh, phase three trial for this, uh, uh, you know, this gene mutation. And if 001 you know, passes, obviously it's going to be a, a new treatment for Alzheimer's, of which there have been so few, as I mentioned, orphan drug. AL101 is targeting more prevalent neurodegenerative disease, uh, like Parkinson's. Um, and that's in a phase 1A trial. Now, according to the terms of the deal, the company's going to um, jointly commercialize the treatments in the U.S. And, and GlaxoSmithKline will commercialize AL001 and AL101 outside the U.S. with tiered royalties coming back to the company. But the idea that, that this is essentially paid for, that the development of these drugs is not something that this company needs to worry about anymore, that their bills are going to get paid, they just got to focus on the science and the testing, uh, it's a game changer for Elector. Here is the Chief Operating Officer, Shiraz Suleiman. To say that uh, we're very excited about the fact that the collaboration fully funds the global development of the Progranulin franchise, which uh, does indeed allow us to continue to exploit the rest of the pipeline, um, and we intend to do so. We have uh, a number of risk genes that are targets for potential um, therapeutic development, um, as you may be aware, and now we can use uh, the rest of our resources to fully, um, you know, perhaps even accelerate our research pipeline, which is part of the goal now that the progranulin 
programs uh, continue to be fully funded. So we, we are excited about the overall company goal thesis that this deal allows us to do um, because now we have, again, just a, a plethora of resources to apply, not just across the programulant program to um, expand into new indications, but also um, to really continue to um, accelerate the potential of our research pipeline. So deals paid for, more research to come, more drugs to come, nothing but uh, good news for this company. Corey, what is your next drill down? Santander Consumer USA. Stock ticker is SC. It was up 11% today, up 127% over the last year. What's going on with them? Big move in the stock today because Santander Holdings USA. Not shocker, part of the big Spanish bank, Santander. Well, Santander has submitted a proposal to acquire all of the outstanding common stock of Santander Consumer USA Holdings. They don't already own for $39 a share in cash. Santander uh, USA already has 80% of the company. They're just going to buy the rest out. So what does Santander Consumer do? Basically an auto lender. Um, and that's that's a really interesting business at this point in the economy and in the the world of business. It's a tough business right now. On the positive side, prices of cars are high and the size of loans are a little bit bigger, but there's a shortage of inventory of new cars and there are fewer deals to be had. Now, some people have warned that Santander has exposed itself to riskier credit just to get deals done. But in their last earnings call, the company said those concerns were not bearing out and that consumers had fatter wallets thanks to stimulus checks. And Santander says that their underwriting standards evolved during the pandemic and it's really helped keep them out of trouble. Now, every lender in the world ever has always said that. that oh, we really know who we're loaning to. We're not taking on bad loans. Who would do that intentionally? Nonetheless, uh, the, the notion that Santander is coming in and buying out the junior company kind of suggests that they're not going to buy a big mess when they could spin more out uh, if they really thought there was a problem there. Here is uh, Santander uh, consumer's Mahesh Aditya. He's the CEO talking about what they were seeing uh, in a post-pandemic world. We have basically two, two, uh, um, two sort of countervailing uh, issues going on. One is obviously, you know, this, this whole government stimulus, which is, which, is a, you know, which, is, which is having a significant impact on people's cash flows to the positive. And that, as Femi said, that is suppressing our loss rates and making everything look much, much uh, lower and much better performing than it, than it perhaps would be once the, once the economy is 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 sort of you know set on its own and the other is what are the fundamentals in our portfolio and in our underwriting practices and what is it that we are seeing below the surface in our book that's giving us some uh, cause for op optimism that coming out of the crisis and coming out of the stimulus regime that the economy is going to be self-supporting and it's not going to blow up in terms of you know bad losses or whatever so you know we are pretty confident that right now just given the underwriting quality and as Femi says we are not pricing to the lower loss rates and all of the other uh, aspects of PNL that uh, that you know things will be pretty stable once the stimulus comes off so I think it's really important when we see a you know a company CEO who's very involved in lending at the consumer level saying this economy is going to be self-supporting we're not going to need all the stimulus we're not going to need all the QE coming out of the Fed to keep things going here, and they can see it, and they're betting on it. Well, it is an exciting perspective, but it does kind of seem like he's betting on a lot of things that he can't control um, for the safety yeah, of Yeah, but company. he's on the ground seeing it. I mean, I, I see, I hear what you're saying, um, but it, it 
Well, the number one, they're right there on the ground seeing what's happening with the consumer. They can really see if these people can pay these loans or not. They can see on a very um, micro level when when just checks don't come in, people owe, owe money in their car and just don't pay it. And so um, I, I think it's kind of encouraging to see that from the ground level. And then from the corporate level in Spain, Santander taking out these guys saying, hey, we want to own the rest of this business. We don't want to give up any of these potential profits. Well, that is kind of exciting then. Corey, what is your next drill down? Is there ever a company with more of a Bugs Bunny kind of name? It's not Acme. It's a great bread company here in San Francisco. No, Ammo, Ammo Incorporated. Ammo Incorporated. And just along those lines, their stock ticker is P-O-W-W, POW. It's down 5% today, but still up 9% this week and up 174% in the last year. Tell me more about about POW. Yeah, so we've talked about the gun business a little bit in the show. We talked about Smith Wesson, I think it was a week or two ago, and how their sales were constrained a little bit because there's just not enough ammo out there. So it's good to be in the ammo business right now. But, you know, the gun, uh, the increase in gun sales over the last year, especially last year, with the pandemic, protests on the streets, the storming of the Capitol, Biden's election, people watching The Walking Dead. I don't know. People are buying guns like crazy. Um, and maybe there's some crazy involved there. And they're buying ammo. Um, and indeed, investors are buying shares of ammo. Well, today there was some new data. This comes out monthly. It's very important. Maybe the most important uh, number in the in the um, uh, um, gun business and the ammo business is the monthly NB, uh, FBI National Instant Criminal Background Check System monthly release. They tell us how many background checks were done every month. And in June, they were well, they were just down a lot um, on an adjusted basis, on an unadjusted basis, I should say. NCI, NICS background checks were down 22% over last year. It was still 3.1 million background checks, but a lot less than last year. On an adjusted bill, of course, I should back up a little bit. People have to fill these out when they legally buy a gun. So the background check information uh, down 22%. On an adjusted basis, uh, the, the checks were down 41% to 1.3 million. So the decline in background checks was expected because of the tough comps because so many guns were sold last year. Now, that's bad news for gun sellers, but it's good news for the ammo business. And all those historic gun sales from last year, they're going to need ammo. And uh, Ammo Inc. is just now catching up to that demand. They're opening a new factory this year. They're signing deals with the military. They've also acquired a business called GunBroker.com. I don't know if you know this website, Ben. But... Gunbroker.com also sells guitars and musical equipment, I discovered today. If you're interested, in any case, here is uh, from the conference call uh, of the quarterly conference call they held, held earlier in the week. Here is the CEO of Ammo, Ammo Inc. We've seen no slowdown in the consumer demand following the election. If anything, our sales have increased. At this point in time, we have about $200 million in back orders, and we've con- Continued to uh, buy more equipment uh, to scale our capacity and uh, fulfill our orders. And right now, uh, I see a big surge over the last two weeks since we moved into uh, everything from Payson into our facility in Manitowoc. Uh, we've had some record-breaking year or uh, days over the last few weeks. So. We feel very comfortable that 
we're probably three to six months out. But when you look at that, you got to look at the caliber. And uh, but I would say we're close to three months out now on orders. I mean, isn't that amazing? They've got three months of backlog. They're 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 producing everything they possibly can, and they still can't catch up. Such is the state of this world, and America, and guns, and Ammo Inc. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at the business behind Priceline, the business behind CarRentals.com, the business behind maybe the most useful site in my life, OpenTable, oh, and Kayak as well. That company, Booking.com, our guest, Knights of Columbus Asset Advisors, CIO, Tony Monopoly, joins us after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at ERA, A-I-E-R-A, dot And remember to join the Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. Link up with the Business Podcast Network on LinkedIn and check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. Welcome back to the Drill Down. Joining us right now, Knights of Columbus Asset Advisors, CIO, Tony Monopoly. Tony, thank you for joining us. Um, Knights of Columbus Asset Advisors is, I, I guess they weren't hiring a, Kennedy or Berkowitz, we got to get a monopoly, really? <laughs> well, it's a great name for the investment business, Corey. Yes, and, and then some. Uh, what is Knights of Columbus Asset Advisors? So Knights of Columbus, real quickly, the Knights of Columbus itself was founded in 1882 in New Haven, and we're the world's largest Catholic fraternal organization. It was founded by a priest who we're hoping is going to be canonized soon, and he really started it to help the widows and orphans uh, in and around New Haven um, because the uh, Irish American and Italian American citizens in New Haven building the infrastructure were dying young and leaving widows and orphans. So fast forward to 2014, taking a big jump from 1882. Uh, yeah. we, we decided uh, at that time to take what was the captive investment arm of the Knights of Columbus and create Knights of Columbus asset advisors. So it's a wholly owned subsidiary of the Knights of Columbus. We are, are an SEC registered investment advisor and we have, a, we have a family of, of nine Catholic-compliant mutual funds, and we've got some private funds and some separate accounts. So we run, oh, I, I guess it's about a billion three, a billion four outside of the 28-plus billion that we manage on behalf of the Knights of Columbus's insurance. Interesting. Yes, Super interesting. nobody knows. Nobody knows. Now they know. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping well, so. Speaking of New England, speaking of Connecticut, you have brought to our attention a company called Booking Holdings, based Correct. right there in Norwalk, Connecticut. Yes, Big company. Um, tell us how it how that business works. Well, booking, most, people, most people know probably kayak or bookings.com, right? Yeah. Yeah. Booking booking really operates. They they all built, frankly, off of the, the heritage of Priceline, right? Priceline, price, yeah. Jay Walker Priceline, and the great Priceline yeah, right. guys. Yeah, back so in the day. Priceline started, uh, you know, with that name your own price and it empowered people to name their price and figure out what they what they were willing to pay for a hotel room. And booking and kayak operate in a similar way, which is they've got that platform. They are constantly looking for best prices, hotels, airlines, rental cars, and how to bring that to the fore. Now, obviously, we saw the entire industry go in the tank uh, when that little import showed up on the American shores last year. 
and really all travel shut down, business travel. You're not referring to a fiat. You're referring, of course, to COVID-19. To COVID, exactly, exactly. So so everything went dormant, Uh, all kinds of business travel, all kinds of leisure travel. And and I actually saw something this morning that I thought was very interesting, knowing that we were going to be talking today. Um, Priceline, as we mentioned, actually did a a work-life balance report. And what they found is that 92% of Americans are poised to, as they com- commented on it, vacation with a vengeance. So people are just, there's pent up demand, ready to go. And 52% said that they're going to go somewhere this summer. And we're starting to see that big pickup. I so, am, I, so I'm not a big fan of the anecdotal reporter reporting. Yeah. You know, it seems to me, that's that question. Yeah. But having said that, last week I was in, let me see, I was in Maryland, Washington, D.C., Virginia, New York, uh, Connecticut, uh, and Massachusetts. And yeah, the airports were crowded. The rental cars, as we know, there aren't a lot of them. They're sold out. The yeah. prices are through the roof. Yeah. Well, well, Corey, I'll tell you an interesting sideline. Beyond my uh, responsibilities at the Knights of Columbus, I'm also on the board of a privately held company called Luxie that is in the livery space. And as you can imagine, so think of it like Priceline, but for livery vehicles. And it's right. national. In fact, it's international. No, this is black livery, livery cars. Right, okay. So it's trying to sit between kind of the Uber X garden variety car and the Uber black. But in any event, all of a sudden, it went from dormant, dead during COVID to, to rocketing. And the biggest challenge, and this also relates back to booking, um, and the entire travel and leisure industry, these livery companies can't get enough workers to drive the cars. The demand right now is outstripping the capacity. You mentioned the rental car companies, most of them during COVID to avoid having to carry the cars, sold off their fleet. So, right. you know, well, and, and probably you had a lot of, uh, livery drivers did the same thing. They sold their cars cause they weren't going to need work and they had an precisely there. And then they went off and did something else. So you're now trying to rebuild this industry. So we we've owned booking for some time. Um, it's been, you know, in the last year, the stocks performed well through this morning. It was, uh, up 38% year over year. It's been basically flat this year. Um, but large, we, we like the fact it's got really large institutional ownership. You look at the, the four largest holders are Vanguard, BlackRock, T Row, and Capital Group across their various mutual funds, commingled funds, separate accounts, what have you. But those four companies account for over 23% of the, of a uh, booking. So they've got. Yeah, I'm, not, they, I, go I'm much more interested in how their business works, right? Sure. Oh, oh sure, sure, so, sure. So, help me drill down on that a little bit. So they've got Bookings.com, they've got Rentals.com, they've got Priceline, they got something called Agoda, they've got Kayak, and they've got Open Table. I'm a power user on Open Table. Don't get me wrong. Me as well. It's a problem. It's definitely a problem. Um, uh, but how does this, how does this business fundamentally work? So they're basically serving as a platform. There's advertising. There's, a, you know, so they'll generate some some banner ad revenue, but they're also generating, uh, they they get discounts, particularly when they're not so much on the open table as much as you and I would wish, but um, <laughs> m- more with the airlines, the hotels, and, and the rental cars where you can find them, uh, they're generating by, by disintermediating, by bringing uh, individuals to these companies, they're absorbing that unused capacity. And when you think about a hotel, which basically in that business year, you're renting up your capacity every night or airlines trying to sell every last seat. If you've got someone that can help you fill unused capacity, that's your best friend. 
And, and that's they, they all really launched off of that that original name your price uh, theory from Priceline and have, have built built on it. Um, there's a we like the whole concept of it because the other piece is it's it's do it yourself. And how much of our life now is on our phones, on our tablets? Uh, we're built personally. We're building a new house. We're getting ready to close on on a house. I did my. I've, I've not. I've not even. Thank you. I've not even talked to the mortgage people. Everything's been done online. Downloaded my tax right, returns. Right. Sent them over in a portal. So this is really allowed for individuals, the ability to say, Hey, you know what? I need a car. I'm going on vacation, and I can I can snap it up on on my phone. The big move that they're making now, and, and could be game changing, is that they're getting deeper and deeper into the corporate travel business. And we see corporate travel really coming back in the second half of this year. I'm excited. I've got my first uh, first business trip uh, in a couple of weeks uh, in over a year. So I'll be uh, heading to Texas and then out to California. And it's come on again, in. The water's warm. It's not Portland, but you're welcome out here in California anytime. Um, yeah, business travel is definitely coming back. Uh, yeah. And um, we, we see that we saw that in the comments we heard from uh, uh, United Airlines and their kind of annual update. Um, and we you know that's, that's definitely a thing that we're seeing return, but I wonder, you know, we're at a place, we already had a lot of planes retired. We obviously, the rental car fleets are kind of gone, um, as evidenced by what it costs to rent a yeah. car. Uh, the Avis, a uh, woman at Avis told me, uh, on, on Friday last week that to rent a midsize sedan in New York city for a month is now 3,500 bucks. I rented a Jeep Gladiator for four months last year, and it was about thirty-five hundred bucks. So by comparison, right, I might have yeah. gotten a good deal. Nonetheless, um, that's kind of where we're at, where you've got about a four x revenue increase in rental car prices at the retail level, and yet there are fewer of those happening. If booking requires excess capacity to sell, there might not be a lot of excess capacity right now in the market. Well, it, it that's certainly going to be the challenge. Now, I will tell you, we're seeing. Uh, Seeing the airlines talking about buying more planes, opening up more routes, getting those planes out of out of storage, uh, and starting to grow. Look, if the rental cars, uh, Corey, if the rental car companies see demand, it's pretty easy to get Ford, GM, to to rev up the machine, uh, assuming they can get chips. Well, well that I was going to say side. it's not though; it's not anymore, yeah. right? They can't yeah. get the parts. They can't get the semiconductors. They're saying that those delays are going to go through the end of this year. Yeah, my my son, you know, as we talk about the man on the street, my my right. son has ordered a uh, a new Ford Bronco, not the Bronco Sport. We can't have that. Once the the the, the new Ford Bronco, the which new is Ford weird Bronco. because he's four years old. Yeah, no, and, he's not uh, four years old. <laughs> but out, he's been uh, been getting emails from Ford, and the date keeps getting bumped out further and further. And when you're a 23 year old old guy who's working hard, put away a bunch of money, and you want to buy your truck. Uh, three months seems like an eternity, but they're having a chip problem and some other uh, materials. But right, no, so does it, look, doesn't that impact the business of booking that? It's good. I, I think it will over the short term. I do believe that we're going to see, particularly what, what I'm hearing what we're, when we're talking to the, the, the chip people, the foundry people, that these problems are going to start alleviating themselves over the next few months. And with a stock like booking, uh, I'm not a market timer. I want to be there. And, and this company... You know, on a consensus basis, we see earnings uh, earnings up probably 36% this year versus last year, and maybe up as, as much as another over 50, maybe as high as 60% next year, just with the wave of stuff coming in. So yes, I think short-term, you're spot on. 
you have there's going to be some supply constraints but i think coming out of this we believe coming out of this this company is going to be poised well look they're the world's largest online travel agency lot for lodging airline tickets and car rentals so they've got the portal booking is it, it, they're the a go-to right if you're going to do this online they're a go-to go-to shop uh they they're going to have this bump i think you hit it spot on but we think you know this is a valley before this thing comes comes through the other side and you think the you know this is was traditionally a web-based product as opposed to a mobile-based product i mentioned that because um what we've heard from so many companies is they want to have their own app because what happens is then they get directly to the consumer. If they're aggregated on the web, they might not be on the phone, and that's kind of their goal. That's correct. And, so then and maybe that's not good for these guys. Um, or you think Kayak and OpenTable own it on the mobile device? I, I, I do. I think I, I think they're going to hit it on the mobile device because it's easy. But right? the key thing is is that it's the web development. So they've got to make sure that when you're looking at your tablet versus looking at your phone, that that app works because – I'm sure you get as annoyed as I do when you're trying to do something on your phone and the app isn't quite configured and, and you're, you get stuck in no man's land. So if they're going to want to play hard, they're going to have to make sure that they do the spending uh, on the tech to make sure that that app functions in, in, in each environment. Do you worry about uh, competition in particular from Airbnb here, which is a different business model, but has, but is growing at a much faster rate and uh, has been really kind of you know, I thought it was interesting when Airbnb went out just a few years back now, but went out and bought um, a hotel tonight, yep. which was kind of, which is a, which seemed like it was a much more compatible service to uh, to booking. Who knows? There may have been a bidding war there, but uh, it it does seem that they're trying to capture more and more of what had been a traditional hotel market. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I happen to like to travel using uh, renting houses, so um, we've been doing it forever. Oh, so you know. Oh, we, we used, when the kids were little, uh, it was just easier to have a little bit more space, uh, as they got older and, you know, my, my now soon to be 24 year old was 14. And if we didn't have much going on that day, would sleep till noon. It just gave everybody a little bit more space, but I think the, the VRBO, um, or, or, uh, the Airbnb, that's a little bit of a different customer, maybe a lot of a bit of different customer versus the booking person that's either looking for. The cheap hotel, they want the best rate, or they're looking for the amenity-laden hotel or the well-located hotel. I think there's still a bright line. We think there's still a bright line between those markets. We think they're different users. I happen to transition, depending on which. Uh, we're going into into uh, San Fran for a few days. I'm gonna be totally kitschy, to total touristy thing. I've never been to Alcatraz, and uh, we we stretched out oh, our nice. uh, our our business meeting. Uh, I have to suffer the indignity. I'm giving a speech in Napa. So we're going to spend a couple of days in San Fran and I'm going to do the total touristy thing and I'm, I'm going Alcatraz, but in San Fran, it was more efficient and we had better options being in a hotel where when we sure. travel, we love the Southwest. If we're going to Scottsdale, I, I'd rather rent a house. There's a million of them. So I think th there's room for both of those applications. Pro tip, dress warm. Warm. But uh, yep. but uh, besides that, um, so it's hard to imagine the humidity that you're in right now. Believe yeah. me, the change is real. Um, these guys also cut, like a lot of companies, cut a lot of cost uh, during the pandemic. They reduced their headcount by 23% from 26,400 people down to 20,300 people. So substantial cut in their headcount. I would imagine it's not going to all come roaring back and that they're able to do more with less because they found out they could. Yeah. Well, CapEx, we, there's two big inputs to business, right? It, it's 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 capital, it's capital goods and people goods. 
or people, you know, doing the work. Um, Booking has invested a lot of money in their technology. And I think you may not, even with business coming back, Corey, I don't think you're going to see the people count rev up as much, particularly if they, from the system standpoint. And look, the more you can do on a cut, like if you have a, to change your date, right? You're changing your travel dates. If you can do that online and not need a human, people are getting more and more, even old guys like me in their early fifties are like, well, heck with it. If I could just change it online, rock on rather than having to, to deal with, with a customer service uh, representative. So I think you're going to see them do more with less, but the key thing is to make sure what we keep watching, are they spending enough on CapEx in terms of, of growing uh, and maintaining the technology? Because that beast has to be fed. And I guess there's a demographic uh, shift too. I'm thinking of my friends at Wealthfront, privately uh, uh, held company that um, uh, you know manages essentially robo-advisors, but focused on millennials as a customer base. And their whole model says, millennials tell us over and over again, they do not want to deal with humans. They want to do it all online. On some level, you've got a demographic shift. It's not fast, but you've got a demographic shift that should benefit, um, you know, bookings, hotel, you know, kayak and so on. We agree completely. But the key thing is, is that technology has to be, why I think Uber made a lot of sense because that app is highly intuitive. It's easy. You push the button, you see your car, you, you, you click your right, destination, right. away you go. Get her done. Get her done. And booking, my opinion, they've done a pretty good job. Their site's pretty easy. Clicks through, you know, the click throughs make sense. Everything kind of flows seamlessly. You get your you get your confirms and and if you need to make a change again, generally I I, I use it all the time. So uh, I'm I'm a consumer of it, which is one of the reasons that we do like it from an investment standpoint, because it makes sense and they they've got they've got a great business model. Let me help me understand one more thing. So they report revenues in three ways, agency, merchant, and advertising. I know what advertising is. I know what agency is, which is that they sort of stand in the middle, they get the customer, they collect the money and turn it over to the hotel, car rental, whatever. What is merchant? Well, the the merchant business, that's really the, the side well, of the supply. It's about 40% of the revenues. Yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's the side of the supply, right? So um, they'll get, well, they get merchant revenue through uh, card affiliation, right? So that they get payment part of the payment process as I understand. And then they're also participating. They get some of the revenue, let's say returned, if you will, from their uh, participation with certain of these vendors. So they've, they've got a, a variety of different, uh, different. So they, they get here. a chunk of the room in addition to the credit card fee, forget the agency fee of just sort of passing the, the, the it on. They actually get a chunk of the revenue yeah. of the room. So they're, they're participating. Yeah. Interesting business. Um, and really interesting to see how this thing might come back. Not least of which, because you know, the advertising shrunk by a lot more than the agency and merchant business shrunk, which means it'll probably go the first to go and the last to come back. But that kind of gives you a little bit of a tailwind in, over the course of the next couple of years, probably. So if they, if they're able to leverage all the savings that they've taken out of their cost structure and have revenue pieces start going up, it's like the restaurant businesses, right? They, they had to figure out how to do more with less, do the curbside pickup, all this good stuff. They took cost out and now they're getting foot traffic. So if you can maintain your cost with extra tables, with tables on the street, with right now, all of a sudden that drives it. And I, I think you can translate that magic, if you will, into the booking story that if these core parts of the business are starting to grow and you start getting the ad revenue, it th that's where I think why we're seeing the, the consensus earning numbers. I think the number is like 50, it's 56.3 for next year for, for, for 22. So 
people are saying not only are they going to travel, they're going to travel a lot and people are going to be here and business travel is going to be the difference. I also happen to believe, I know people are saying that we're going to be doing teams and zoom and whatever for the rest of eternity. There's still nothing to nothing, nothing like, you know, you and I sitting across the table, if we're, if you're a client, uh, you know, sharing a meal, having a glass of wine, having a beer, catching up eyeball to eyeball. And Play your cards right. That could happen for you in San Francisco in the coming weeks. I'm Tony, hoping thank so. you. Thank you. Tony Monopoly from uh, Knights of Columbus. Really appreciate your time. Knights of Columbus Asset Advisors and Tony Malabi. Um, Hey, I want to uh, get to our drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. We talked about how the agency business, the main business at booking slowed down a lot, 57%. But when the drill down continues, we're going to give you that bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. How much did advertising slow down? Again, it was more than 57%. We'll have that number when the drill down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to Drill on any of your favorite podcast platforms, but you know that you're doing that right now. You could also leave a review about The Drill Down. Tell us what you like about the show. Tell us what you like about the show. Tell us what other people might like about the show. Recommend it to your friends. We would really appreciate that. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down. We've got the Drill Down Byte, the one number that tells us a whole lot. I told you at agency revenues, we're down 57% for this business during COVID, or at least for 2020. Advertising was down even more. The canary in the coal mine, the first thing to go. Advertising was down 67% for this business in 2020. Like I said, usually advertising is the first thing to go, and the last thing to come back, but that might create a nice tailwind for this business as they get the users back to their site. All right, you've been listening to The Drill Down. We appreciate your time. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. The Drill Down is a production of Business Podcast Network.